Hi, this is Ben Lowell with Back to the Bible Canada and Truth in Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. And we're continuing our series of questions that people call in and write in every week. And just a reminder that you can go to backtothebible.ca and ask your question and we'll get to it on Truth in Life Today. Uh, but also just a reminder that uh, we'd love for you to subscribe to Truth in Life Today on YouTube, uh, like us on Facebook, or even download our Back to the Bible app where you can get the program every week. Uh, Dr. John, great to have you here today. It's great to be here. You know, we've been talking about a lot of issues over the last number of weeks. Last week we talked about the whole issue of money and investments and retirement and those types of things. And I think uh, we really learned a lot. But today we're going to take a little bit of a different uh, uh, perspective. A number of people just call in and ask us about particular passages of Scripture. Yeah. So we're going to look at a couple of those today. And, and some of it might seem... Uh, uh, obvious to some, but maybe not obvious to others. And then I think we're going to go into the book of Hebrews, uh, which uh, provides us a little bit more of an insight into our walk of faith. But let's first start with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And uh, uh, we're asking an important question here, but Peter is referring to what he says is a living hope. And maybe you could read that passage for us in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, yeah. and then help us understand what a living hope is. Yeah, it's uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So mm. a living hope is through the resurrection of Jesus. He rose from the dead. Our hope is not based on dead things. I mean, a futile hope, we might say, or people who put their hope in things that will not pay off in the end. This one is living in the sense that Christ is living and therefore our hope is not futile. I think that's what, that's what Peter means. So, but it's a pretty uh, critical question because I think a lot of people, when they think about our hope that we have in God, uh, we don't always connect it with the fact that our hope is actually found in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It's sort of a, a hope because I can trust God because of all these good things he can do for me. But there's an absolute connection between a living hope and Christ's resurrection. Absolutely, and that's why hope for believers means something different than the way it commonly gets used today in our culture. Okay. I mean, I hope that's gonna happen is I, have, I don't have certainty but man, wouldn't it be great if it turned out that way? That's how we use hope today. Mm -hmm. But hope is not that way. In, in, in the scripture, hope is a, a future event, but there is a confidence in the certainty of that future event. Our hope is certain. It's, as Hebrew says, it's an anchor to the soul okay. because we know with certainty because of Christ's resurrection that that which we hope in, the life to come, the promises of God, uh, the truth that God has given us, all of these things will indeed find fruition. Christ's resurrection has ensured it. Yeah, so we have a tendency in our daily walk, even as a follower of Jesus though, to sort of place our hope in what's gonna happen tomorrow. Sure. Uh, our hope in, uh, uh, you know, that things are gonna be taken care of. Uh, uh, just that, that birthday hope kind of experience. Uh, but it's really important for us as, we, as a follower of Jesus to recognize that our hope is far beyond the circumstances we face today. And really that buoys us under the difficult things that happen in life. Yeah, I think it was uh, Chesterton that had said that you don't have real biblical hope until you face a situation that by all external factors, that is the factors that we have in this world, make it look hopeless. Okay. And I'm gonna argue that we're all gonna face that and that is at the point of our own death. 
I mean, it is about as hopeless as a thing that you can see to stand at a bedside of a person dying, and we are all going to be in that bed one day. But the resurrection of Jesus changes that. I mean, it tells us that life has won over death. There's a living hope. Mm -hmm. Now, in Peter, it goes on to talk about faith. And, and, and God shielding us with his power. What does that mean? Yeah, and so it continues to read that we have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's the hope that we have. Then the next verse, which is verse 5 here, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So the shield or the guard that God has, now listen again how Peter puts it, who being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. So our confident trust is that he who saved us is able to keep us until the last time. I won't fall away, but I'm going to continue to remain in the faith. I am confident that God is able to guard me. And I think that's how Peter is using it here. So that's the faith, is that confidence in in God's protection. Yeah, so that's how I think faith and hope are such connected Adjectives, right? Yeah. You know, this is an important verse for people to understand, though, isn't it? Well, I think so, because uh, we need to continually uh, put our confidence in that which was done for us in the past. And because of what was done for us in the past, the future promises are as certain as yesterday's news. I mean, somehow we've got to get that into our hearts. Uh, By the way, if I might say, Ben, I I think because of that, that a Christian, therefore, is the most optimistic person in the world. We know with certainty that our best days lie before us. That we know. Fantastic. Okay, let's move on to Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, the verses we're looking at are verses 26 to 31. And, uh, but uh, let, me, let me read the passage, and then we have a particular question that maybe we can look a little bit deeper as well. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 31, and it says this, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated us as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So here's the question uh, directly from our listener. Does this mean as a believer, if I sin or struggle with a habitual sin that forgiveness is withheld or that punishment will be on me as if I was an unbeliever? He says, this is a terrifying passage that I struggle with sin. Don't we all? Yes, we do. Yeah. Yeah, we do. So how important it is to be very precise in our understanding here. This is an earnest warning. And so let's, again, look at 26. Now, you read it, I believe, in the NIV. Yes. And I, I, in my hearing, I, I, I know it that way. I have the ESV before me. It says, uh, sinning deliberately after receiving a knowledge of the truth. So the question is, what is this deliberate sin? Now, we need to remember that from the Old Testament, 
there were two kinds of sins. There was the high-handed sin, or the sin that's with a raised fist against God. And then there was the sin of ignorance. So a person, you know, disobeyed a given law, and they were, you know, and, and, and they didn't know it was, it wasn't incidental, oops, you know, I didn't realize this was. And so murder is seen as this high-handed sin. Um, but is that what the writer of Hebrews, I, I don't think he's talking that way, even though he uses the analogy from the Old Testament. There is a deliberate sin, and there is one that is not. So how do we define that? Well, in verse 29, he does it for us. And so it's important that we see, you know, verse 29 is a further elaboration of the statement that he makes in general in verse 26. So in verse 26, he says, a deliberate sin, but look at verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has, my my translation says, spurned the Son of God, and yours said, Trampled. trampled on the Son of God. So let's remember that. So this deliberate sin is trampling on the Son of God, and then it's profaning the blood of the covenant. Your translation said something like that, and outraged the Spirit of grace. So clearly we're talking about something very specific. Now, here context means everything. The book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians and that the chief danger that they had is that they were thinking of leaving the faith because pressure from the Roman Empire was beginning to mount. Jews were exempt for all sorts of reasons, but Christians were not. So Christians were called upon to pour out libations or offerings to Caesar to testify that Caesar was Lord. Everyone in Rome had to do it, mm-hmm. but Jews were exempt. They had you know, received an exemption. Christians were not. So some of these Jewish Christians were saying, well, what if I go back to Judaism? And the writer of Hebrews calls that spurning the Son of God. And and then if you you continue to, to look at this, that in verse 32, so if you keep reading, the former days after you were enlightened, you endured hard struggle and suffering, sometimes publicly exposed to reproach and so forth. So that was the temptation that they were going on. And therefore, in then verse 35, he says, don't throw away your confidence. And uh, he continues to say so. Uh, he, he's calling on them not to abandon Christ. Okay. So if I read this correctly, the person who does this is the person who has the knowledge of Christ, turns their back and says, I'm going to now renounce Christ. Ben, I'd like to tell you a story about that. Uh, years ago, I was in a prayer line. And a woman came to the front. She said, I haven't been to church in many a year. I said, well, welcome back. Mm-hmm. She said, here's what I've done. And she told me a story, and I don't know whether all synagogues do this. I highly doubt it. But she had gotten married to a Jewish man, and it was, the marriage was in a Jewish synagogue. And unbeknownst to her, as she stood at the altar, the, the rabbi said to her, I know you're a Christian. Will you renounce Jesus in all his ways? She said she was stunned and then agreed she would do it. She said, I haven't been to church since that very moment. And she said, is there hope for me? And I said to her, there is always hope if you turn to Christ and earnestly confess your sins. Because that's what the Bible teaches us. You know, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And, And she heard that. And she told me she'd think about it, and she walked out. I never saw her again. Ben, that is for her. 
So I'm going to say to the person who says, I've got a habitual sin in my life, you need to rely on the Holy Spirit's power to win the war on that habitual sin, but you must not despair. Mm -hmm. Though you fall a hundred times, rise 101 times. Don't you live in that sin. You continue to get up and do it until you learn the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome it. That's not what this text is about. This text is about the person turning their back on Jesus and walking away. There's very much an intentionality in the passage then. I mean, I'm intentionally doing something against God. That's correct. And, but I must say that a person that, let's say, habitually sins with abandon. Okay. You know, there is a hardness that begins to build in our heart. And that person is in danger of doing this very thing. Okay. Because you can turn away from Christ simply because you don't care anymore. I mean, you hear individuals say this all the time. We have a very, I won't even say his name, but a very well-known preacher who is constantly on air, Mm -hmm. who has recently simply said, I am not a Christian, no longer a follower of Jesus. So those things actually happen. And the book of Hebrews says, if you do that, you have no hope. So we just talked about hope. This one makes hope disappear. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think in our day and age, um, we, we take some license uh, with how difficult it is to follow Jesus sometime on certain issues. And, and we'll be confronted by it so many times, eventually uh, we almost uh, um, decide to dismiss it because it's too difficult to face. Right. The world such, puts such pressure against us, eventually we say, I can't deal with the pressure anymore, I'm just going to overlook it now. And, uh, but that's, that's, that's deliberate as well. Yeah, it is deliberate. We have to be very careful. So we need to read this warning because a person's heart can become so hardened that they actually do this in the end of the day. So I would say with habitual sins, we need to fight them with everything that we have for our salvation depends on it because if you don't fight it, this is what's going to happen. Now, having said that, then I need to say something as well because you know about me that I believe that indeed uh, we can't lose our salvation. So how do we do that in this? And the answer is this warning for someone who is truly born again, this warning will be taken to heart. The person who's not truly born again, this will be cavalier for them. You know, so, so yes, I mean, our reader says it's a terrifying passage and it is. And so anyone who knows Christ will, will fall on their knees when they read this and say, Lord, guard my heart and my spirit so that this will never be said of me. Thanks so much, John, for sharing. Uh, Thank you for sending those questions in and those passages. It's been an enlightening conversation. Join us again for Truth and Life today next week as we discuss some issues regarding the church right here on Back to the Bible and Truth and Life Today. We hope you're enjoying the new Truth and Life Today show with Dr. John Newfeld. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode each week. But we want you to be involved in the show. To submit your own personal questions to Dr. John, you can email us at info at backtothebible.ca or find us on Facebook by searching Truth and Life Today.